0: Alright, well hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Mining Matters, a mine safety podcast presented by Fisher Phillips. My name is Chris Peterson and with me as always is my partner, Arthur Wolfson. Arthur, how are you doing today?
1: Oh, we're doing well, Chris. I guess the year's moving along and boy, we're starting to see some more MSHA activity. i am been hearing from some Emsha leadership. I think the year's starting to take shape. What do you think?
0: Yes, I think we are uh, finally turning the corner into spring. And so, with all of the, the green grass and wildflowers, we are definitely seeing Emsha uh, blossoming into some additional activities. So, that's definitely something that operators should be aware of. Yeah. Sure, we'll be covering that in future episodes. I know, I hear you. But on today's episode, we are joined by a special guest, Paul Krivakucha from the National Mining Association. We're going to discuss some mine safety and health issues with P.K., affectionately known as P.K., um, and he's going to give us an overview of what the National Mining Association is and how it represents its member interests in Washington, D.C. P.K., how are you doing today?
2: Well, I'm very good, Chris and, uh, and Arthur. Uh, thank you for the opportunity and uh, enjoy the time to be able to talk to you about uh, myself and the NMA, so uh,
1: ready to go when you are. Well, PK, you, you know, you and I have worked together in the past in, in some of your uh, different roles before you joined NMA. And I've always enjoyed working with you and I've always enjoyed the knowledge you bring. And you have a very uh, diverse career path in the mining industry. I think a lot of interesting experiences from different perspectives that has led you to your uh, place at NMA and, and in your office in Washington, DC. Can you give us a, just a rundown of your background in the mining industry so our audience gets a better sense of who you are and what you've done? Yeah, sure, Arthur. I first want to mention
2: that I am a fourth-generation coal miner, so out of uh, immigrant grandparents who came here from Yugoslavia and ended up in coal camps in western Pennsylvania, so we've got generations here of, of mining background. When I graduated from high school back in the early 70s, I went and Actually, right into the uh, to the mines. I went into the coal mines here in, in Western PA, and uh, I've done pretty much when it comes to the mining side of it gen- about everything. Everything from that entry level miner of being uh, shoveling belts and uh, rock dusting and you know setting roof supports and things like that, up through at that time I was actually shot fire underground in the early days and shot with the explosives and actually shot what they called air docks. So had some experience in that type of mining, ran all kinds of pieces of equipment during my early career, everything up to and including continuous miners or roof boulders and things like that. And, but then I moved on from there and, and actually took a, a job in safety and, uh, you know, had a passion for safety. And it, it was a time when the industry was extremely robust. And uh, from my time as a safety technician that moved on pretty, fairly quickly and then filled in his role as a safety director. And uh, then, pretty much moved into the production side of things and doing mine examinations, supervisor, construction foreman, all the way up to including superintendent, general manager, and vice president of operations and chief operating officer. And so and a lot of experience and, and background. So when they asked me about you know equipment and things like that, I got enough background that I can talk intelligently to about that. From there, I was actually in Western Pennsylvania and I've kind of been a term limit guy for about every 10 years. I've kind of moved on and 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 done something else in the industry. And that being said, I was at Western Pennsylvania and then I went into the Midwest and so got a good understanding of the different regions and areas. And then from there, uh, I actually moved uh, internationally and I went into Western Canada and spent 12 years up there in a management role on Vancouver Island, British Columbia, which is an absolutely beautiful place, but exciting time of my career. I would spent time up there and then we actually uh, bought an operation in Tennessee. So spent some time down in the Tennessee area and then I really had an opportunity to go to what was probably the one of the highlights of my career. I, I went from uh, Canada and went to a project uh, 60 miles southeast of St. Louis in the Illinois Basin, Dodura Marissa, Illinois, where a power plant was 1,600 megawatt supercritical power plant was being built, and a underground coal mine that was going to produce coal six and a half million tons a year for that power plant, and. I was there whenever the cornfields in the final corn was being cut as we started to put the project together, and so just an exciting opportunity and time in my in my career to bring that from from startup to to full production. So again, after you know a little over ten years, I left there and uh, I continued with my career, and uh, I reached out to the National Mining Association to see what opportunities were were maybe in the industry, and within just a couple days, I I actually received a call from uh, Assistant Secretary Zeteslo of the Mind Safety and Health Administration at the time. And uh, he said, let's talk. And shortly thereafter, I was appointed as senior advisor to the Mind Safety and Health Administration. So that was a a, a great piece of my time. And I'm sure we're gonna probably talk more about that as we move along here. Uh, And then after my time there with the administration, uh, I took a short time. And I can't tell you how. Ever as a coal miner, I would end up in South Florida, 14 miles west of Miami. But uh, I took a, a roll down there and did some consulting for a uh, cement plant, one of the largest in the southeast, and a major quarry. So it was it was great. And uh, you know, again, I would just say that from the opportunities of my career, the the time to go down there, it was a very heavily populated Cuba population working at the site so it was just fun times for me i really enjoyed it uh and then now i'm back here at the national mining association as vice president of health and safety so i've got a
1: extremely rounded background when it comes to the industry that's fantastic vk fantastic stuff it's really you've seen it from so many different perspectives and have helped miners in different areas um, I, I'm just curious, you know, you mentioned your time in Canada and I, I got to know you after that, but, you know, not long after that. Just briefly, what's sort of the differences that you notice when it comes to mind safety and approaches to mind safety, if there are any, between Canada and how we do things in the United States? Well, it's a great question and there are.
2: And the one thing that I really noticed, I guess I'll make this the number one thing, was is that uh, when it came to uh, the regulatory environment where I was at in the province of Canada was that it was a re- results-based system. And of course here in, in, in the US, when it comes to MSHA and, and their uh, mandate from you know under Congress and, and what they do, it's more prescriptive. And so managers in Canada uh, were held ultimately responsible for the health and safety uh, procedures and the expectations of you know keeping people safe, and if something went wrong, that you know the manager was you know that was that was on the manager uh, to make sure that every the policies and procedures and things like that were in place. Where of course in the U.S. Uh, you know there's there's the you know, the, the Mine Safety and Health Administration, and then there's the, the the state requirements also for uh, you know, several of the areas uh, the, the mine in, in the U.S. Uh, I guess. Canada regulations, uh, mostly when I was there, was uh, where I was at, I'm sorry, was with the provincial uh, had the control. And there was federal oversight, but it was more the provincial inspectors and so forth that came in. So uh, that's probably the the biggest difference I saw between uh, my Canadian time and uh, the U.S.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Now, as as you know, and I think our listeners know, because I've talked about this before, I also am a... Department of Labor. Along, I worked two years for the U.S. Department of Labor, so I, I can appreciate sort of the different perspectives between working for the government and then working private sector with industry directly. But you know, your time at MSHA, you know, how was that? What did you What did you learn from it? Any surprises there? What do you take from that experience? I think, I guess, I would use the term. I was blessed with the opportunity to actually
2: stand in shoes that. I never had an opportunity to do when I was in, in uh, the, you know, it's called the public sector in operations and really go and see what the, you know, how it functioned and, and how it operated. And I think sometimes it's, it's easy for any of us to, you know, look from the outside and say, well, you know, why don't somebody do this differently or why doesn't something occur? Uh, why does it take so long to have things done? But, you know, going there to emption, and spending the time I did. And seeing the uh, professionals that were in place and the commitment uh, that they had, some of them with decades of experience and the knowledge of, of course, the uh, you know the, the mines legislation and and the enforcement activities and the things that were going on was was just amazing to me. I really enjoyed my time there, and I and I enjoyed everything I learned. I had I had an opportunity during my time at Emsha to spend. Uh, a considerable amount of time with almost every level of emsha from their senior leadership uh, all the way into the district level people. And the commitment and the knowledge base was, uh, was just uh, re- really something for me to, to absorb during my time with MSHA. Uh I think that, again, when it, when it comes to some of the things that we do with EmSHA, you know, over my career, and it's always that question of why and, you know, maybe communication it's probably the thing because there's there's reasons and they, because of some of the history and the things that they've been through and what they've seen, uh, it's probably sometimes
1: overlooked on our part of of what, you know, the decisions they make. You know, one of the things I think, you know, we can disagree with MSHA and we, I'm talking about from the industry perspective. And sometimes we go, you know, toe to toe with them, but I think at the end of the day, I think we all agree that, you know, both MSHA and industry has the same goal, which is the safety of the miners and the workforce. I don't, I don't really think anybody would dispute that. So it's interesting to sort of see that from a different perspective, I guess. And then how is that? So now you're with NMA, and I think we're going to get into your work at NMA in a little bit more detail here in a second. But sort of what lessons have you taken from your time at MSHA to your current work with NMA? Well,
2: I think having the industry background and then of course, you know going to MSHA and now being with the NMA and seeing what what their mission is and what my responsibilities are to the NMA, I think that I have that opportunity to apply that knowledge of you know the intricacies of how things work, you know at EmSHA. So bringing that knowledge to the NMA, especially when it comes to Emsha, I think it's good both for the NMA, both for Msha and uh, for our members uh, and, and the stakeholders.
0: Yeah, it, and it might be a good idea, PK. Could you give us you know kind of a brief description, if you would, of what the National Mining Association is and frankly, what does it do for its members?
2: Well, I think what's probably very exciting for me when I, you know, getting to the NMA is you know, they represent all phases of mining. We represent, you know, anything from exploratory and development production and large international companies all mining products that are you know out there from coal to mineral you know hard rock now you know we're talking about rare earth we're talking about critical minerals and so they just have such a an overall and diverse amount of members that they represent that um I think that's just so significant in addition to that you know I, I guess I maybe give a little plug for the nMA that Uh, You know, they they host one of the largest global events, you know, in the world with their Mine Expo International. So, uh, you know, I say if anybody hasn't had the opportunity to do that, that's really something that, you know, you'd want to take a look at it and see whether you could at least, you know, attend for a period of time when that comes up. It comes up next year in 2024, but it's just a great time to see what's out there with with, uh, new technology and things like that.
1: I echo that. I've been to that before, PK, and spent a day walking the floor and seeing all the exhibits. I learned quite a bit.
0: Yeah, it is impressive.
1: So NMA is based in Washington, D.C.,
0: PK, is that right?
2: Well, we are. And, you know, I must say that as a coal miner from Western Pennsylvania in the coal fields and now sitting in an office that looks out over the Capitol, that I guess I would say to to anybody that listens to this, the sky's the limit regardless of what you do. and, And you just never know where, you know, opportunities may take you. So, it's been exciting to be there and really understanding that environment as far as what you know what all the NMA does.
0: And so, and what is your role exactly? You said Vice President of Safety, Is that what you were saying?
2: Right. So my role there is uh, promoting that safe you know production and and again, the use of the mineral the resources. So uh, you know what i do what I do with Msha is I have basically the oversight when it comes to the health and safety side of uh, the NMA. The NMA has got a lot of segments to it, and a lot of things are going on, and, you know, the ones particular to me would be, I would be looking over any, um, well, I'll tell you, just normally for me, uh, you know, when I, when I go to work, for example, I'm, I'm looking, you know, first thing I do is, you know, kind of look over to see what's going on with them shit. Uh, unfortunately, I look to see if there's been serious accidents or fatalities, we know we don't want those to occur, not even one. And then uh, I'll get into the regulatory environment to see if anything's going on, and if there's any new role making or potentially what's going on with it. Uh, and then it's really you know follow up to those kind of activities, uh, member activities. But um, again, we'll probably talk more as we go along here. But I, I'm also uh, responsible for the core safety, health and safety management uh, system, the process that we have at uh, at the NMA, and uh, that 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 is very exciting, and it's just it's. It's really good stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, core safety, I think, has been one of the, I guess you could call it pillars of mine safety, right, at least that I've heard about over the years. So I think that's definitely an impressive program. Um, you've mentioned a little bit about, you know, interfacing with MSHA. On a typical day, would you set up meetings with the assistant secretary or, you know, the powers that be within the agency to talk about various mind safety issues?
2: Well, I would like to do that, but I will tell you that uh, – assistant secretary is a pretty, pretty busy person. And so I know that, uh, you know, currently I know he gets out of the field as much as he can, and we have met with him face to face, uh, or we've had discussions. So, uh, I've been really impressed with working with assistant secretary Williamson and the collaborative effort that, you know, that, uh, he puts out there, you know, with, with the, uh, with MSHA and of course, with all the associations and, and all the stakeholders. But, um, I will communicate with MSHA on a regular basis, and one of the things that I uh, do look at is when I'm looking at their website, if they have any you know, key initiatives or things that are out there, I'll communicate within the organization, their leadership, and I will then uh, reinforce that messaging that they have out there or they would like to put out there with our members. I will either do that with a, in a memo form to our members or the other thing that we do have at, at the um, National Mine Association, which is an outstanding tool, again, I would recommend to anybody to take an opportunity to take a look at it, is our core safety video. Uh, extremely professionally done with great messaging. We're currently moving toward Spanish captioning with that, again, to be inclusive with uh, with that environment. And uh, it's just really good messaging where you can use. so. Uh, I, I that's it's core safety for anybody that's interested, but it, it is absolutely uh, I think the, uh, one of the highlights of the National Mining Association.
1: We get tens of thousands of views to that. So PK, you know, talking about you know your dealings with MSHA and your dealings with the industry and in the members, you know, as as we look out in 2023, we're you know we're getting close to the end of first quarter 2023 already. Big picture, you know, 20, 30,000 foot view. What do you think are the big issues facing the mining industry as we sit here today? Well, I think it's for, for me, maybe to
2: to respond to that in kind of a twofold answer. Uh, you know, one one of that, one part of that would be that I think the struggles that the mining industry is currently seeing is national. And maybe we could take that further to international. And that is... Uh, the hiring process and, and, you know, getting miners all, onboarded, uh, I think that that is uh, also the ability to get the the, the technical or even the engineering, uh, you know, needs met with the industry and all the operators. And I know that they all are challenged, and, and along with the NMA, we're all working together to try to enhance those activities to make that happen because it's it's definitely something that I hear uh, from the members, as far as you know, one of the the key key areas that you know we need, and when we talk about that, uh, I think we also have to talk about you know making sure that you know that when we do get people on board, that they're you know adequately trained. You know that we have the people to do that, and that uh, you know all those those key issues are met. Uh, so I, I think that that what I would say would probably be from a from a human resource standpoint, you know, a significant issue that that is being addressed, but needs more, definitely more consideration. I think when it comes to the regulatory environment, uh, I would say that the, the the key issues that are they're facing us right now, and I'm going to relate back to the uh, regulatory fall agenda for 2022, which is is under their fiscal year, uh, the government's fiscal year, is that, uh, you know, the crystalline silica rulemaking, uh, is is currently underway uh it's currently with the office of management and budget budget uh, we have provided our our uh, suggestions back in 2019 from our membership and we in addition to that have had a discussion with the office of management and budget again just some key issues we the, currently we really don't know what's in that role we won't know until it comes out we expect that to be out yeah uh, in probably late March or or early April uh, as it's after its review with the Office of Management budget. But I think that's one of the key issues that everybody's waiting to see what what's, what that's gonna look like. In addition to that, there continues to be, even though there was a reduction between 2021 to 2022, when it comes to um, powered haulage fatalities and accidents, there's a reduction, but they're still out there. So that powered haulage rule, uh, expectations on it is to be rolled out in July Uh, We'll just see how, you know, whether that happens or not. But I think that that's another one we should anticipate seeing. And then the third one I see on a, you know, you know, I say the 2023, you know, looking into 2023 is I would suggest that the um, other one is, and I call it the part 18, but it's really the use of certification or uh, acceptance of, for example, international standards without going through all the processes it takes now to get approvals. Uh, for you know use of you know, motors and uh, equipment in gassy environments and uh, as you know that you know we're in an international environment here and there's just so much technology out there and opportunities that i believe we can enhance the industry as far as it comes to safety and health and so those are the, the the three into 2023. the the further out i would suggest that i'm only speaking to the my portfolio as far as what i'm responsible for uh, looking after at the NMA, but I can tell you there is uh, multiple activities going on on several other fronts that are being conducted by other people, uh, professionals at the NMA that are that are outstanding people doing a wonderful job, but there's just a lot of activity going on and I don't really, I can tell you it might be air or water, it might be permanent, it might be land use, uh, I can go on and on, but there's just a lot of things going on that are in other people's por- portfolios at the NMA.
1: Yeah, I should have mentioned that when I asked the question, the 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 key issues facing uh, the safety area, which is your area and, and and my area and Chris's as well. Well, that's interesting. So we're, the, you know the workforce shortage or workforce issues. I guess you know Fisher Phillips is a labor and employment law firm. We we see that across all industries, but it's particularly acute in the mining industry for the reasons you've. Mentioned because it does tie to training and in sort of the scope of the issue I guess you know when you think about the international scope of the industry it puts it puts it in a different light and then the regulatory agenda Chris and I have talked about that a little bit in a previous podcast and I think with the news that we're expecting that powered college rule final rule to come out in July I think Chris we have our uh July podcast topic booked and then some of the technical issues as well that's that's some interesting insight that's not something i guess that we think about every day but it, it's it's a good point so what so I, this, that's a that's that covers a, a wide range of of areas pk what is nma doing um and what are you doing just sort of generally speaking in all of these areas you, you did mention you know offering the input and in, in the in the rule making but if you could just touch a little bit on on what m what nma is doing in each of these areas that would be great well, I I
2: think I'll talk to uh, the uh, respirable crystalline silica rulemaking making process and, and what the NMA has done. I think that's probably the most most keyed in area that we are working on right now. So, knowing that 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 activity was moving forward, knowing that again from speaking to the Assistant Secretary Williamson, that that was uh, the number one on his agenda to get that done, and and that's been. You know, maybe somebody else can speak to it more than me, but I think it's going to go back even to pre-2000 when those discussions were being conducted around a, uh, you know, a, a silica role. So th- what we've done at the NMA, and again, we uh, knowing that something was coming, is we have put together a technical silica working group. Uh, And it's made up of a very diverse uh, group of individuals. So we've got people from metal, non-metal. We've got people from coal. We've got uh, people from consulting agencies. We've got, uh, you know, legal counsel, uh, people, uh, attorneys. Uh, We've got uh, manufacturers. uh, And we've got some, uh, you know, again, we've identified some technical expertise uh, at some point that we'll probably engage in the activities. And we started meeting back in, in basically... Uh, in late 2022, uh, knowing that this activity was moving forward, so I would say at this point we've probably done the bulk of the preparation, and we pretty much stayed with our messaging from our 2019 uh, comments or information request that we submitted the comments for. So it, it, we really we we're, we're ready to to move. Uh, you know, I, I think our hopes are that uh, it the the rule is consistent with uh, with OSHA and what, what OSHA currently has out there and, uh, and all the opportunities for um, administrative controls, the hierarchy of controls, um, you know, whether it comes to PPE and all those things are, are part of the the rule when it comes out. But we'll we'll see that and, and time will tell. And then I uh, will probably have further, I'm sure, we'll have
1: further comment when that comes out. Yeah, certainly that's going to be the game changer when that rule comes out one of the things i always and i'm sure you agree with me on this but i'll give you a, the chance to chime in on it i always encourage the mining companies that i work with when there's rulemaking initiatives that come that come up whether it's a proposed rule or you know whatever it is from msha to really comment and comment robustly because you know the agency needs to hear from the operators how it's going to affect their operation you know to me that's much more valuable than than frankly a lawyer um you know offering thoughts but you know what you know either in the rulemaking or any of these other issues you've addressed i'll give you a chance to answer this um what can what can operators do um if you're speaking to operators these are the issues we're facing big picture what what are some of the things they can be doing and steps they can be taking to best position themselves and the industry Well,
2: I just want to highlight the point you just made about, you know, being engaged and being part of it. Again, I just want to come back and say that I know that some operators are out there and probably maybe don't have the means, or when I say means, you know, maybe aren't a significant size of operation and have the people there to be able to assist in that. Again, I would just come out and say that NMA would be a great tool for a lot of operations, regardless of your size, because of the expertise they have that can assist or be voice for, you know, an operator going forward. So I, I wanted to put that out there because I really didn't have a, a really strong background to that until I got to the M- NMA and saw the work they were doing. I would say from an operator standpoint, uh, a, a couple of things that I would, would mention would be that number one is know where you, you know, if you have a health and safety management system, know where you, you are as far as what your, your, your goals and your expectations are of that. And from there, You should be able to assess whenever there's things like uh, silica rulemaking being talked about or uh, power haulage. You should be able from that to be able to audit your own process and see where you're at and see where you're, you know, from a gap analysis, see where you you need to move to be prepared. Even if you don't know what the final outcome of that's going to be, you you probably have a pretty good idea of where it's going to go. Prepare yourself, do your own due diligence. And I think that is... uh, that's a key for operators to do everything they can to do to be prepared. In addition to that, pay close attention to, uh, and the AMSHA website it, has got that kind of information there. If you look at some of the things that they've done, whether it's been from the technical silica and, and enforcement initiative they put back in place back in 2022, or in some of the, if, if you haven't engaged in the uh, quarterly calls that AMSHA does. Is to partic- participate even by listening, because if you listen close enough, you're going to get a, maybe an idea or a good thought going forward. Where, for example, Emsha might be taking those different things or those different topics, and again, from that, you know, it's all about preparation until that until that rule comes out. But I think most operators know whether it's you know where they are in their their sampling programs or where they are you know in, in injury accident near miss performance. That they pretty much know where they are but again having a clear eye plan and then having a plan already in place to re, uh move forward and improve or resolve those issues i think is key
1: yeah good stuff there um and i would say that i was at a conference last week and assistant secretary williamson spoke and he said that be on the lookout for a, a policy document related to ppe coming out so that would be you know, those of you uh, who are going to follow PK's advice and keep keep engaged and look at the website, we that's probably the next thing we can expect to see. So, just putting on your, you know, looking in your crystal ball, PK it looks like we have a lot on the lot on the plate for 2023. It's going to be a busy year. Probably that's going to go in well into 2024. But if you were to look down the road a few years, just for fun, and I won't hold you to it. But where do you think from a mine safety standpoint, where do you think we should be looking at and what do you think the big issues are going to be a few years down the road? I I think
2: that, you know, anything to do with, uh, you know, the health of the miners, uh, anything that currently has happened or is happening or going to the future, I think that's going to continue to be a significant uh, topic, you know, agenda topic uh, going forward. And I think that we're going to we're definitely going to have to be on board for that. I think the other things that are you know, coming, you know, that, that's going to be out there that we're going to, you know, we're going to have to be prepared for as we move forward as, a, as an industry is, is the tech, technology te- changing, technology's improvement, being prepared to be able to uh, adapt. And again, I use the word adapt to that. Whether that b- means that you have to uh, reassess your equipment, uh, for example, from a proximity need or from a surface haulage, vehicle standpoint and some of the tech, you know things going on there and then having the, having the people in place to make sure that uh, you can maintain that and, and keep the upkeep of that. I think, that, I think that those j- just a few of the things that I see from an industry standpoint. And, th- and again, I, I think I hear this from the, I hear this from the members and, and I've, been, I've read it several times is that when we talk about, you know, mining, you know, and getting people, uh, I'll say involved or into the industry. You know, it's not a glamorous job. It's not a. It's not something that you. You know, everybody wants to go into an underground environment or something else. And and uh, you can't, generally speaking, telework. telework unless someday we get anonymous vehicles you can run from your house. But uh, that being said, I just think that it, it uh, it's it's uh, you know significant that we continue to understand the needs of the uh, of our our employees um and our workers and you know keep it to keep them engaged and to, and to keep it you know where it, it's going to work because as we know the generations are changing and uh
0: and it's it and it's it's a different world than what it was yeah i mean and, and kind of circling back to your time at em show i mean just kind of thinking about you know you've obviously been in mining for a number of years right and you actually spent some time as a senior advisor within the Mine Safety and Health Administration. You know, you've peeked behind the curtain, so to speak, right? And now you're with NMA, and you're still obviously monitoring, you know, Mine Safety and Health Administration activity, what be it regulatory or you know compliance-based behaviors. And so, I'm just curious, right? What you, what do you think are some of the major changes within MSHA, and what does that mean for an industry today?
2: Well, MSHA has has a mission, and I don't think that anybody that has had leadership in MSHA, has never followed the mission. But I think when it comes to emsha and I'm, I don't want to speak to the from an administration standpoint, but I want to speak from a leadership standpoint, that leadership will have their own focus areas. So I think from a focusing standpoint, that that's where the change is coming. I, I, I really think that, that challenges the agency. I say challenges it, but the, the people that have been here for decades, they've experienced it many a time. So not something that's, that it's new for them, but it does, you know, you could, like the people in MC can work very hard on a focus area and it can change very quickly and it can change with a different, different focus areas. So I think that, that the key focus areas will be driven by the leadership, I think, but I do, I do think that right, you know, from a standpoint right now that, you know, that the health side of it is, is big and, and, uh, you know, other key areas that, uh, uh, you know, that the people were either getting, you know, sick, injured in or, you know, the fatalities have occurred from. So um, I, I think that EMCHA. All, all the other thing we'll see uh, beyond the short term of MSHA is, that, you know, this Navy could turn over a lot of the generational people that I knew, you know, through that, you know, I'll call baby, baby booming era, They're they're retiring. So the MSHA has lost a lot of uh, experience. I'm not saying they don't have a lot but they still lost a lot of years of experience. And I don't, I could say that's in, in every aspect of MSHA. So growing that experience or new MSHA coming on board, if, especially if the hiring process is inexperienced, I'll call it minors in general, that's going to take time that it's going to take, there's going to be some challenges along with that.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. And, and, you know, we've, you know, obviously sitting on the outside looking in, we've seen through retirements and, you know, other forms of attrition, you, You do see Emsha losing sort of that institutional knowledge and experience. Do you think that's something NMA can help Emsha with in in the sense of, you know, getting Emsha's messaging out there, albeit, you know, whether that's guidance or guidance documents or, you know, anything in terms of, um, you know, new missions from the leadership, something like that?
2: I have offered, from an NMA's perspective, to to MSHA, and, and we're, we are working together, so we are doing that, but I think there's a lot more we can do, and I have offered from an NMA perspective to work collaboratively and to assist in their messaging up to and including our core safety video, if there's anything we can do collaboratively there. As you know, as a government agency, they have some uh, areas where they have to make sure that that all fits appropriately, you know, for their for their approval processes. But, that being said, you know, our door is open and my door is open. And I think that uh, we have to work collaboratively. And, again, that's beyond the, uh, you know, just MSHA in us. That includes labor and stakeholders and all of us coming together to, to make that occur. Because I, I don't think there's anybody out there that wants to go home at night thinking that they were a part of or that they experienced or that they were there when a serious accident or injury occurred, especially if they could have made a difference in that one.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a really good point, right? And then I think in going to your open door policy comment, you know, I know in years past we've had NMA safety committee meetings in Washington D.C. and the Nemsha leadership would would attend, whether that's you know the the assistant secretary or the administrators, whoever that may be. But I always found those meetings, you know, relatively high level meetings. Extremely helpful, right, to kind of understand Emsha's agenda and where they're coming from, hot topics, and then passing that along to the operators saying, hey, here's, you know, here are the areas that Emsha's going to be looking at. Do you think that's something that anime will will set up again in the future now that we've kind of passed this whole, you know, pandemic period of, of detente or whatever, you know, whatever that was? Well, uh, great, great question. And, and, you know, I'd be
2: happy to talk to that. So, as as we all know, the the COVID era uh hopefully is in a tail end, right? It, it, nearing its end, I hope. But that being said, I think that it's uh very important that uh, uh you know the NMA will continue its efforts. We did have a meeting, we actually had two meetings with the assistant secretary last year, one in July, and then he actually uh, spoke to our membership at the international I'm sorry, at the National My Rescue Competition in Lexington. Uh, One thing that I I am trying to do from uh, the NMA perspective is to try to make sure that we have that pre-planned, especially for our members or those that want to attend, that uh, they have time to schedule and make the arrangements to be there. So it was a little bit of a tight window last year because I just had started at the NMA. But uh, going forward, we plan to get that message out much quicker. And we do believe that engaging uh, at least once at whatever opportunities we have with his assistant secretary. He has been very open to do that. I can tell you. So, uh, working with him
1: and his, his current, uh, leadership ha- has been, been good. And well, it, it sounds like there's a lot going on. We know there's a lot of issues going on PK, and it sounds like you have a lot on your plate. We know should does. So, you know, we just encourage everybody to stay engaged. Like you said, it could be a lot of, both a lot of change, but also a lot of opportunity to, to get involved and make your voice heard is what my takeaway from this. I I've enjoyed this conversation. When we have a guest, we kind of give them the last word. And so we'll give you the last word here to sort of anything you want to leave our listeners with. Um, things they can be doing in 2023, both from a safety uh, standpoint at the mine or from a policy standpoint. Anything we haven't covered, or any points you want to reiterate? Well, I think maybe I would want to leave one message that took
2: me several decades to to understand, and I think this is something I'd like to pass on to everybody that I speak to. Is that when you're out in the field, and I I think it's very important uh, for especially you know management leadership to have that opportunity to engage with the workers and with the employees to have a clear understanding of what their, you know, the needs are and and how they see things going and and actually how they feel this health and safety program is going. But I think one of the things that I learned, and I learned this from our core safety um, work that we did, uh, my previous employer, was that uh, when you're out there and you're talking to people, and whether you're giving them direction or you're talking to them about a subject, always give them the reason why. Because I think that's one of the things I didn't do earlier in my career, or Going back several decades, you know, it was told, hey, this is what we expect of you. Uh, this is what I want you to do. And uh, you never asked a question. You just went and did it. Even if you didn't know what you were doing, you just did it. And I think people want to understand why the, 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 you know they're given a directive or whether it comes to health and safety or whether
1: it comes to operations. I think giving that why is very important. Yeah, I completely agree. I think when we're talking about the workforce changes that we've talked about, that's certainly something want to keep in mind as we're trying to address new generations of workers that's a whole other topic but also keep them engaged and keep them as safe and productive as we possibly can when they are in the workforce well this has been a great a great episode I hope our listeners have enjoyed it I know I have I think it's both been enlightening and also a lot of fun because I always enjoy talking you know maybe we uh I think there's definitely some fodder for additional (laughs) episodes if we ever want to do it but for now i think just really appreciate you coming on and we have a good group of listeners out there and i, I think it's uh, definitely worthwhile to hear this perspective um from washington dc because you know that that covers everything that we all do in our lives what's going on in washington so uh, appreciate you coming on thank you for the opportunity guys and if
2: any of the listeners would like to reach out to me directly Uh, it's petecrivacuja at nma.org and feel free event you don't really have to be a member if you have a question or you have
1: something you'd like to talk to me about feel free to reach out all right with that we will uh wrap up this episode and wish everybody a good day out there and and stay safe everyone thank you take care everyone
2: This podcast provides an overview of a specific developing situation. It is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal advice for any particular fact situation.